0: How many of you know someone who's selfish? Don't answer that out loud, especially if you're married, she's sitting beside you. Just kidding. How would you describe a person that's selfish? Seriously. How do you describe someone who's selfish? Give me some feedback. They don't care about anyone else. They don't care about anyone else. Okay, good. House. How would you how would you describe someone who's selfish? They don't share. They don't share. <laughs> it's my toy. I don't want to share with you, brother Dennis. <laughs> Good. How would you describe selfish? Unwilling to sacrifice. sacrifice. Good. Good thought. Not caring about her mom. mom. Okay, well, we don't want to put any names on it. (laughs) All right, good. So uncaring. Yes? Self-serving. Self-serving. Probably, if we think about it, we can probably come up with a, a nice list of someone who is selfish. But selfishness sometimes will wind us getting us in trouble, won't it? Oftentimes, it gets us in trouble. I think about that old farmer. whose name was Ralph Woods. He was very ambitious, and he wanted to do his very, very best to, to have the, the best corn of crop and the best thing he could. Uh, and so he bought this really expensive uh, corn seed, went to great expense, And it was highly recommended by those. Uh, And so this was supposed to be a high-yielding crop uh, uh, of seed. And so he bought it. He sowed his feed with it. And that year he was astonished. And all his neighbors were astonished at the great reap of harvest that he, he got that year. They were like, wow, this is amazing. And they asked him, they said, would you share some of your seed with us? And he says, no, this is my seed. I don't want to share with you. And so, you know, obviously that kind of hurts some neighbor relationships, but they didn't say too much. Well, the second year he sowed his seed and he noticed that his crop didn't produce quite as well as it did the second year. And the third year, when he sowed it again, it was even worse. And finally it dawned on him, all of the horrible seed from his neighbors was cross-pollinating with his seed and making his seed worse and worse as the years go by. His selfishness cost him something. Our selfishness cost him something. This morning we saw missionaries uh, that were given 30 and 50 year awards 50 years on the mission field can you imagine i can't, that just blows my mind i, I know brother hilton have been involved with the bbf missions for a long time and you have seen this on countless occasions and i've, I've witnessed it before but brother bruce uh, not bruce garner um what's his dad's name in mexico brother Gardner. we're going to call him that because i can't remember his first name he has served faithfully for 50 years, him and his dear wife, in, in the country of Mexico. They wasn't prideful, they were just humble in spirit, and I saw them invest in Zeke and Sadie and other missionaries that were there. Man, what a great example of a selfless spirit. We're going to share in a couple of weeks about a, a documentary about Marjorie Browning. Now, 20 years ago... They put out a documentary called The One Horse Missionary Lady, and it was pretty good. But now they're going to be like Paul Harvey and tell the rest of the story. Because in 2002, when they first came out with that documentary, she was still alive. Well, she died in 2014, but her legacy lives on. And I can't wait for you to see what happens in a life where God is able to use a person who is a faithful servant, who uh, is willing to be self-sacrificed and willing to give everything and lay it all down on the line because they simply love the Lord. I can't wait to, to share it with you, and I hope that you'll take time to be with us October 3rd as we share that with you. But let me just share with you out of the book of Ruth, there is a, a great example in a, in a lady in the Bible named Ruth. And, and we're going to hit some highlights. We're not going to go in depth. I know Pastor Tolbert uh, years ago preached in depth through the book of Ruth. But I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights and just kind of skim over some things as we see she, her makes decisions that were completely and totally selfless. And then we're going to take some of those things and apply them to our lives today that we might be able to learn and influence the lives of others for Jesus Christ. Because really, isn't that our call? Look at Philippians chapter 2 before you go to Ruth. Philippians chapter 2, are you there? Amen? Amen. All right, oh me. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know, as he calls us to this kind of mind here tonight, it's not a mind that's consumed with me, but a mind that's consumed with Christ. A mind that says, listen, not my way, Lord, but your way. Not all about me, but Lord, it's all about you. And so may that be our spirit. And I think about in just a few weeks, we're going to kick off our Missions Month. And I love Missions Month. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, sometimes our, our, almost every year we see our attendance dip in October. You know, as a pastor, I I remember Pastor Tolbert telling me, expect it, it's going to come. And I thought, why? I mean, I just don't get it. I love missionaries. I love to be around missions and to hear about it. And then I realized, oh, because we don't want to let go of something that's green and we like it to be in our wallet. Amen? (laughs) That's a missionary back there saying that. He says, preach it. But seriously, we don't like to. But if Christ says, listen, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Man, I'm excited about this year. What God's going to do with our church as we're starting a church plan, as we're working towards uh, seeing more missionaries. My, my desire is that God allows to see us pick enough up enough missionaries to be able to support 100 missionaries from Hillside Baptist Church. May we have that desire, that vision that, listen, it's not just about a family, but about the lost on a mission field. Uh, whether it's Vietnam or whether it's uh, Cambodia or whether it's Laos or wherever it may be, that God can use us, us hillbillies from the Ozarks, to do something amazing in the all of the scheme of what God is doing in the world. But it requires for us to be able to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice, I'm going to be uh, a selfless When it comes to missions, I'm going to be selfless. When it comes to serving one another, I'm going to be selfless in my life in every way I possibly can. And so this requires that we be like-minded, that we have the same love as Jesus Christ, that we're of one accord, of one mind. And so let's fulfill the joy of the Lord in that regard. Let's look at Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're going to set the stage here a little bit as we get into looking at Ruth's life. And many of you here have been saved longer uh, than maybe even I've been alive, and that's okay. Uh, but the point of saying that is is maybe you are familiar with the book of Ruth. You know her story. But I just want you to look at it maybe from a different angle tonight. In verse number chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, "...that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And and, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died." And she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons, uh, left of her two sons and her husband. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible example, Lord, that Philippians 2 just goes on to describe. The mind of Christ who left the glories of heaven, Lord, to be made in the image and the likeness of man and took upon him the form not of a king but of a servant. God, how much he gave up for us. How humbled and thankful we are that we tonight can be encouraged to put on the same kind of selfless spirit as we look at the life of Ruth and we see her life uh, even in in very uh, big ways sacrificed for those around her. May we be inspired to do the same for our families, husbands and wives, that we would sit aside the selfishness and that, God, we would s- see the family strengthened. That, Lord, we would, as a family of God, choose to set aside our selfishness and, Lord, be willing to Be part of the the effort that you're uh, doing all around the world to share the gospel. Help us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look here a little bit, just a very quick definition of uh, selflessness. So this this idea of opposite of selfish. It's sacrificing one's personal interests for the good of another person. Uh, I like good coffee. Anybody else with me? But you know what I won't do? I won't pay $6 for a cup of coffee. Uh, there's something that rubs me raw about a $6 cup of coffee. But I will, you know what I will do? Is I'll take that $6 and I'll give it to missions because I know what God can do with that. Most of us live with this mentality. If I do this, what's in it for me? If I'm going to give to missions, if I'm going to be nice to my spouse, then what's in it for me, preacher? i got to know, what, how is this going to benefit me? Trust me, husbands, it will benefit you to be nice to your wives. She feeds you much better that way. Amen? But listen, Ruth was a Moabite woman, and she married a Hebrew man. Now, Moabites were uh, descendants of Moab. And remember, Moab, was, uh, this, this man was a product of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. You remember that from Genesis 19, 37, it says, "...and the firstborn bare a son, and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day." Remember, this was not a very good beginning for the Moabites. But, you know, even in the midst of this, we find this woman, Ruth, and, and she, as a Moabite, uh, would have had this lineage and this almost this blot uh, upon her name. Over the years, they had conflict between the Moabites and the Israelites, but here at this time, there didn't seem to be that conflict and, matter of fact, it was in this middle of this drought that Elimelech and Naomi took their sons to Moab, and they were there long enough for their sons, And which is a reminder as a parent that, listen, be careful who you hang out with. That, that, that person could be your future, uh, uh, your, your, the, the spouse of the children could be your children's spouse. Uh, have you ever thought about that? I think about that sometimes as I look at your kids. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Y'all, it took a second, didn't it? It's a Wednesday night, and boy, I'm tired, and so there's no telling what's going to happen. But let's let's go on. We look at the book of Judges here, or we look at this time, and it was the time of the Judges, and so it was a very common and recurring theme in Judges that people did that which was right in their own eyes. Judges 21-25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Ruth, though, is depicted as a woman of high moral character. She had great faith. We do well to learn from her example. Let's look at well, how she trusted God. She was very loyal to Naomi and to the Lord. In Romans, in verse number 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. She said, The drought's over. Let's go home. In verse number 7, Wherefore, she went forth out of the place uh, where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the, Lord, uh, the, the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee and unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that, you, that may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say if I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, should, and, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were growing? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it, is, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Norfolk kissed her my mother-in-law, But Ruth clave unto her. What a tremendous example here of Ruth's tenacity and her faith. And she she said in verse 15, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. In this moment, in this place, we see uh, what happens in Ruth's life as as, as Noah, Naomi just pleased with her and begs her, listen, I want you to go back while well, I've been, as a matter of fact, she felt so bitter and angry and upset over this. She, saw, she said, call me no more Naomi later in the story. She says, just call me Mara, which means bitterness. And she says, all I've received from the Lord is just terrible, awful, no good, very bad stuff. We used to read that with our children, terrible, awful, no good, very bad day. But... In the midst of all of this, Orpha says, you're right, I'm going to go find someone else. But Naomi said, listen, I took a pledge, and I'm staying with you. After 10 years of being there in this country, Naomi says, I'm going back. And Ruth said, "I'm going with you, no matter what." She just refused to leave. She said, "There's nothing that you can do to make me to make me go back." And then we see in verse number 15 really the blossoming of her faith as she follows through in this. And she says in verse 17, "Where thou diest, will I die, and will I, and there will I be buried? The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me." She says, "I am dedicated to you. I am not given up." Listen, I'm afraid. Have you ever been in that place where you're with someone but you're and you're afraid of what may happen if you left their side? There have been times where I've been—I've received a call in, in the middle of the night, or something uh, that uh, that that someone has desired uh, to take their life. And boy, you don't say. Well, I'll see you in the morning. Office hours are eight thirty. I'll see you then. You get up and you go to their home. And I know Pastor Tolbert's dealt with this, and and other pastors in this room, but. But you get up, you go to their home, you stay with them until you know that they're okay. Listen, I'd much rather be in bed than dealing with a situation like that. Can I get a witness? Right. But a heart like Ruth was willing to say, Naomi, I know you're, you feel desperate. I know that right now you have nothing left to live for, and I'm going to tell you I'm not leaving your side. I choose you. What kind of dedication does this take? What kind of a willingness to say, God, I'm just going to be selfless in everything in my life. I'm just going to be in this place, God. I'm going to give you everything. I'm, going to, I'm willing, Lord, to lay my life down, and I'm going to lay it at the altar. As I, you know, We often sing, all to Jesus I surrender, and often we sing this song, but do we really mean it? Well, Ruth in this moment was saying, God, I mean it. I surrender all. I humbly lay my life down, and I'm willing to follow Naomi because I'm willing to follow you. You know what? You know why we give to missions? Not because I, I I love missionaries, but because I love God. And I love the fact that I know God's gonna do something great with the efforts that we're we're doing around the world. And I love our missionaries and I love to support them, but listen, I love the Lord so much more. And I want the world to hear that Jesus is the answer. Man, if we don't send them, who's gonna go? If we don't help support them, how will they get there? Well, the church down the street will take care of it. Possibly. But God didn't say, let the church down the street. He said, Hillside Baptists, it's our job. Let's be selfless. Ruth, it was her faith that drove her in this moment. And so when they went into Bethlehem and they came into this place, it was Ruth's faith that said, listen, I'm not going to leave you. And as we're leaving Moab and we're going into Bethlehem and we're coming to this place, Ruth, uh, 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 Naomi, I am not leaving your side no matter what. We see, look in verse number, chapter number 2, we're going to see Ruth cares for Naomi's needs here. I read this story about two friends who went to a restaurant for dinner. And I think I've seen this happen in my own house. But they both of them, they, they wanted the same meal. And they said, well, it's too much for me. And so we'll split a plate. And so, and so uh, they, the waitress brought it over an empty plate. And they, uh, the, one, the one guy, he, he got uh, the, the, the plate had two fish fillets and had some fries. And so he put fries on a plate. And then there was one fish fillet that was a little bigger than the other one. And so he took the smaller filet and he put it on the the empty plate and the fries and he passed this one with the smaller filet over to his friend. And his friend was kind of taken back. and he says, well, you certainly have some nerve. And, And he says, well, what's bothering you? He says, look what you've done. You've given me the smaller piece and you kept the bigger piece for yourself. How would you? And so the guy said, well, how would you have done it? Well, you know what I've done. I'd have given you the big piece and I'd have kept the little piece. He says, that's what I thought. That's, what I, that's why I did it why I, the way I did it. <laughs> listen, sometimes that's the way we perceive things with, with God or with people around us. Listen, I, I just figured that's the way you'd want it. So I just. I figured I'd do it like that. But Ruth was, listen, as they went back in verse chapter number 2, look in verse number 1 through 3, and we see that Ruth's life was one of those ones that she was willing to sur- surrender her life, not just in word, but also in deed. In verse number 1 it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband." a mighty man of wealth, the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Ah, the love story begins. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said uh, unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And so we're setting the stage here for what's going to happen later in the book of Ruth. And you're familiar probably with the story, uh, but if not, we'll get to the end of it in a minute. But remember, Naomi was so discouraged, so depressed, so disheartened, in all of that was going on, that, it, that at the end of, of chapter 1, she said in, in, in verse number 21, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Who does that remind you of? It reminds me of Job when I thought about this. But Job's response was different. He said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But Naomi's response was different. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth Moabitess. She had a bitterness in her spirit through all of this. And Ruth said, Listen, I know you're grieving and I know you're hurting. I'm going to stay with you. And so she walked in the fields. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Ruth found out, okay, uh, there's this guy over here named Boaz and happens to be uh, a close relative, and I'm going to go to him and see if I can uh, glean in the fields. Now, Leviticus 23 verse 22 lays out the groundworks for uh, caring for the widows during this time. It says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean uh, riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And so God literally told these wealthy uh, farmers, listen, leave extra for the poor in the area. Leave this gleanings around the corners and, and, and don't make a second pass through, but leave that Uh, after you've reaped your harvest, leave some of these peripheral edges so that the poor, so that those uh, widows and others have something to glean from. God was providing for them in that. And so Ruth knew this custom. She was aware of it and said, well, listen, I'm just going to go work in the field. I'll go glean and I'll gather so that we have food. And Naomi is like, whatever. You ever been there in a place where you're so discouraged you don't know which way's up? I believe Naomi must have been there. She was so depressed and discouraged, she just felt empty. And Ruth said, listen, I'm not leaving your side. Verses 4 through 23, we see that she worked. She had tremendous work ethic. And verse 23 says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz. She gleaned, she worked, she didn't give up in the middle of it. She was willing to give everything she had. She worked from morning until night, verses 6 and 7. And the servant that was said over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back when Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued from, even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house." Listen, she was a good worker. She, she labored for her mother-in-law. She was willing to invest. She, she was willing to say, I'm going to sacrifice for you. What a selfless example for us. And Boaz obviously took notice. I don't know if it was what he saw on the outside or if it was the character that he saw that shined so brightly in the midst of that. I tell you, character shines when you're working hard, doesn't it? I, I, you ever work with someone who doesn't work Mm. Amen. Well, we don't have to talk about them here tonight. We can repent of that. But listen, seriously, it reveals some character about a person. And she was demonstrating a godly character. In verse 17, as she finished up, it says, So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley, probably about a 30-pound bag. She worked hard. She labored in this field. And then we don't just see that she was willing to stick by her side. She's not just willing to labor for Naomi and, and, and to provide for her, but we also see that she was willing to be obedient. What a great example. Looking uh, in the next chapter as we, as we see in chapter number 3. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, of whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. She's playing Cupid right now. She's trying to work it out where Boaz and and Ruth come together in verse number 3. It says, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and shall go in and uncover his feet and, and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Ruth closely followed Naomi's instructions in seeking Boaz as her kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was a close relative who could act in that capacity of redeeming of property and persons. This was really a, a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. But in fulfilling this, this law, the kinsman redeemer would uh, could marry the widow of his deceased brother and raise up a son into his name, according to Deuteronomy chapter twenty five. And so uh, Ruth was aware of this, and so uh, and no doubt uh, uh, she was taught this by Naomi and and other other areas. And so Ruth prepared herself. He went down. She went down. She washed. She perfumed. She adorned herself, and she met her, him uh, there in that threshing floor in chapter number three. And as we see this unfold before us in verse number eight, we see that it came to pass at midnight, the man was afraid and turned to himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That scared me too. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. And as much as thou followest not after young young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman." What a tremendous testimony that she had, because she was willing, one, to stick close by Naomi. In the midst of her despair and her sorrow, she said, I'm going to sacrifice everything. I'm just going to leave family, friends, religion behind, and I'm going to follow the Lord, and I'm going to follow Naomi. And then she went from there to, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to labor. Listen, it it was a small community. They saw, they knew what was going on. They knew that she was willing to sacrifice. And then in that part of her life, as she comes to Boaz, he says, listen, The community already talks uh, well of you because you've proven yourself a virtuous woman. This spreading, uh, laying at his feet was a traditional Jewish act demonstrating that she desired him to request her hand for marriage. But we see here in all of this in chapter number 4 the culmination of it all. And I don't don't have time to go into all the details and nuances of that tonight. But I just want you to see chapter 4. As we come into the end of this chapter, we find that Boaz went to the gates and he desired to, to sit down with the kinsman. There was a kinsman that was closer than Boaz. And so Boaz said, listen, I can't marry you. I can't play the part of the kinsman unless the other man refuses to. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. In verse 2, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is, come out of the, again of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I after thee. And he said, "I will redeem it." And then said Boaz, "What date that thou buyest the field of the handmaid uh, of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance." And the kinsman said, "I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself." And so the kinsman that was nearer, he said, listen, I can't do this. I, I, I can't be a part of this. And so Boaz, as he went to the gate, he desired to fulfill this part, not just of the purchasing of the land, but of the bride, to raise up an, an heritage. And this man said, I can't do it. Now, here's the incredible part. As God blessed Ruth, we see at the end of the book of Ruth, God do something amazing. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and he went into unto her, and the Lord gave uh, her conception, and she bare a son. What a blessing. Now, it doesn't stop there, does it? If you know a little further, in verse number 18, we have a little bit of a lineage that happens here. Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminedab, and Aminadab begat Nashon. and Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David. Listen, you'll never go wrong by following the Lord. You'll never, you'll, you'll never go wrong by saying, Lord, I'm just gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna follow your leadership no matter what it may cost. In Ernest Gordon's book uh, on WW2, he wrote about a Japanese prison camp in the book called Through the Valley of Kauai. There's a story in this book that is about a man who who helps to transform a a camp of soldiers. The man's name was Angus uh, McGilvery. Angus was a Scottish prisoner Uh, As you could probably guess by that name. And he was in one of the camps that was filled with Americans, Australians, and Brits. And they had helped build the the bridge over the river Kauai. And and the camp had become really a bad situation. It was one of those situations where it was a dog-eat-dog mentality. Allies would literally steal from each other and cheat each other. Men would sleep on their packs and yet even have things stolen out from underneath them while they slept. Survival was everything. Loyalty was nothing and so it was this law of the jungle that had prevailed, until until Angus. Angus died in the camp. No one had expected him to die. Matter of fact, he was a very strong man. He seemed like nothing could ever, uh, nothing could ever get him down. Matter of fact, they expected him to be the one of the last to die. And actually, it wasn't the, his death that shocked the men. But it was a reason he died. There was another soldier, uh, and the, the Scottish soldiers uh, took their took a buddy system, and they took it very seriously. And so they were called they called each other uh, a mucker. And they, so these these soldiers, it was literally, it was up to uh, them to make sure their mucker survived. And so Angus's mucker was very sick, and he was dying. Everyone had given up on him. Everyone but Angus. And he'd made up his mind that his friend would not die. No matter what would happen, his friend would survive. And so someone stole uh, his mucker's blanket, and so Angus gave him his own, and he told his mucker, he said, listen, I just came across an extra blanket, and we want you to take this one. But, and then he just slept out in the cold. Every mealtime, Angus would bring to him his own personal rations, and he would feed them to his friend. So he got a little extra food, and he'd just tell his, his friend, he said, listen, I got a little extra food. You eat this up. He said, I'll be fine. Angus was going to do anything and everything to see that his buddy got what he needed to recover, but as his uh, his mucker began to recover, Angus collapsed, and he died. The doctors discovered that he had died of starvation. He was completely exhausted. He, had, he wasn't sleeping because he, he, just, he couldn't get warm. He had been giving of his own food and his own shelter to his, his mucker, and he'd given everything he could, even his life, so that the other man could live. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Now, as the word circulated of all that Angus had done and, and what he had, how he had died and why he had died, the camp changed dramatically. Instead of focusing on just keeping my stuff, suddenly men began to focus on their mates, their friends, the humanity of living beyond just survival, and they began to give oneself away. They began to pull their talents someone was a violinist and they would come and they would uh, have a little orchestra together another one was a cabinet maker another professor and they, so they began to pool their talents and soon the camp had an orchestra full of homemade instruments and a church called the church without walls it was so compelling in that church and the spirit of those men that even the japanese guards would attend the men began a university. They began a hospital. They began a library system. And the place was transformed and, and all but smothered. Uh, and, and all but the, 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 the love that had so almost been smothered was revived because one man named Angus gave everything he could for a friend. What a powerful moment when God can use us. You or me to be the next Angus. Not just just for one another inside the walls of the church, but yes, here, but around the world, in our neighborhoods with our neighbors. Ruth's life, no doubt she made some decisions that cost her, but God blessed her richly in the end. The end result is nothing short of miraculous. Ruth is is only one of two books written about a woman. Ruth is the grandmother of King David. And Christ is part of her lineage. Because she was willing to say, it's not about me. It's all about Him. What about you? Are we willing tonight to say, Lord, it's not about me? It's not about John. It's not about filling the blank there for your name. But God, I want it to be all about you. All to Jesus I surrender. Would you you pray with me? Father, we come before you. Lord, and we confess. Lord, oftentimes we are selfish. We're proud. Lord, so often we're consumed with our own desires. Lord, we haven't put on the mind of Christ. We haven't learned from the examples of selflessness like Ruth so valiantly displayed Lord instead what we find is our selfish nature takes control and we confess that sin before you tonight and so as a church Lord you called us and you said that we should love one another may we do so valiantly just as Ruth did may we do so without abandon and say God It's not about me, Lord, it's about you. As we prepare our hearts for for missions, conferences, we prepare our lives, Lord, to surrender all. God, I pray that, Lord, you would raise up missionaries and pastors out of our church. But, Lord, that you would even right now, that you would work in our lives, that we would begin by saying, God, it's not about me. We love you, dear Lord. Lead us in Jesus' name, amen.